Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. Happy New Year! Happy 2019. We're here. We made it. Did we make it? Mm, debatable. <laughs> so every year we do an episode where we ask people that we love to give us some wisdom as we go into 2019. And this year we're doing it a little bit differently. We are asking women that we love to give you permission to uh, do things that are probably good for you. This year, we reached out to a handful of women who have kind of like different areas of professional expertise, who we love in many different ways, and asked them for what they are thinking about as they're heading into a fresh year. And when we listen to all of these voicemails together, we sort of realized that they're all just about granting permission. So... The Brown sisters, Adrienne Marie and Autumn Brown, who have an incredible podcast about our apocalyptic political times, are giving you permission to liberate your attention and just make small adjustments to what you are doing. Atega Uwagba, who is head of a community called Women Who and is all about professional development, especially for self-employed and self-directed women, is giving you permission to not reply to email. <laughs> Erica Chidi Cohen, who is a doula and one of the co-founders of Loom in LA, which she'll tell you about. She's giving you permission to get to know your body better, to develop body literacy. And our super close bestie, Samita Mukhopadhyay, who is the executive editor of Teen Vogue, is giving you permission to be tender with yourself. So listen to these voicemails from these incredible women and feel inspired because we do. Hey, Call Your Girlfriend listeners. We're so excited to be on your show. I know. It feels like a great honor and privilege. We're the Brown Sisters, and we are co-hosts of another podcast called How to Survive the End of the World. Our podcast on how to survive apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. I'm yes. Autumn. I am a queer science fiction writer, an activist, a mother of dragons, and I am calling you from the woods in the midst of rural Minnesota, covered in snow and heated by a wood fire. And I'm Adrian Marie Brown. I am the author of Emergent Strategy and the forthcoming Pleasure Activism, and co-editor of Octavia's Brood, and an auntie, a doula. I live in Detroit. Right now I'm recording this in New Orleans. That's right. Why are you in New Orleans? I am facilitating a meeting for Black Youth Project 100, BYP 100. And then my whole college crew is coming down for like a girl's trip. So, oh my um, gosh, that's so sweet. I'm totally looking for the place where I get to pee on people in the street. Is that a thing? Have you seen Girls Trip? I haven't seen Girls Trip. Is that like oh, a part sorry, of the. I guess that might be a spoiler. You just spoiled it for me. Okay. <laughs> well. 
Yes. Well, this feels like a good segue into what we wanted to share with the Call Your Girlfriend <laughs> listeners because... Does it? That's you know, great. in a way, we're calling in with some advice for um, oh, yes. moving into 2019 with intention. And I think mm-hmm. that one of the things that we can do to set intentions is to really just like let go of any judgment of the kinds of things that we want to be able to do. So, Adrian, if you want to go find... That's so right a place to pee on other people, then I think that you should just live into that. It's intention. like a zip line across Bourbon Street. So it's not <laughs> it's not peeing in general on people. It's peeing on like a sort of gentrifying force of humans. But okay. anyway, you, it's I don't peeing on people as direct action. I love it. Yes. Yes. So I feel your non-judgment. I feel safe. Um, so let's dive in. Let's dive yeah. in. So Autumn, what I would love to ask you is if you had advice for kind of how to be the best possible human that you can be for 2019, mm-hmm. what would you tell people? Like how, how can people really change well? Mm, yes. How do you change yourself? Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I am actively in a period of um, major personal change and transformation Mm. in my life that has been brought on by going through a pretty intense burnout related to my movement work. And I'm sure that many of the Call Your Girlfriend listeners will be familiar with that. I I know that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of folks who work in social justice and activism who listen to the show. And we know how painful and fatiguing the work can be. And also how beautiful the work can be and how irresistible it can be. So I've been in the painful fatiguing part. Um, (laughs) So the thing that I've been thinking about a lot in terms of how to change my own life is something that I recently was able to articulate to myself as the power of a small adjustment. Um, Yes. I was having a conversation with my partner the other night and he was pointing out to me that even in a visionary conversation, I I have the ability to hyperly focus on very small details. And I said to him, I was like, yeah, that's because I believe in the power of a small adjustment. And then I was like, oh, I really do believe in the power of a small adjustment. (laughs) And, And partly it's because I've seen the power of a small adjustment in my own life over and over again. Like, oh, if I adjust my attention in this small way, there are these significant ripple effects across all of my relationships. And the example, I shared this with you recently, Adrian, but one of the examples um, that has made a really big difference in my life as a parent is that in the last few months, I've just made this intentional practice, like mindfulness practice with my kids that from the moment that they get home from school until the moment that they go to bed, I basically don't pick up my phone. And also if, if they start talking to me, I I pause whatever I'm doing and look them in the eye while they're talking to me. And those two small adjustments, which really are just like small adjustments that are primarily behavioral, um, have made such a huge difference in my ability to be fully present with them. And the more, and of course the ripple effect of that is that if I'm more present with my children and having more quality interactions with them, I feel better. They feel better. Everyone's happier. And that means that it's, easier for me to actually get through my work in spite of my fatigue because I know that I have the reward at the end of the day of getting to experience full presence. Yeah. So that the power of a small adjustment is the advice that that I would give um, regarding how to change your own life. 
And now I want to turn it back to you, Adrienne. I'm wondering what would be your wisdom for how someone can actively change the world around them? Ooh, yes. We have this apocalyptic world all around us right now. And I think it's very easy to let it take all of our attention. And the guidance that I talk to people about, the thing that I've been clicking into and practicing myself this year has been attention liberation. Mm. This idea that we are in a condition that is made more terrible by the fact that those who are in power and in leadership have learned to play with our attention and how to put it you know, one moment after the next moment, put us into a new cycle of crisis Mm -hmm. and a new cycle of powerlessness, right? That they only want us to pay attention to things that we really cannot touch, we really cannot impact. Often it is fake news. Often it is a totally false threat. Mm -hmm. Often it is something unconstitutional that's not even possible, Mm -hmm. but they will get our attention to go beyond that for the day. And then the next day it'll be something else. And the next day it'll be something else. And so I feel like what we're getting better at and what we need to continue to get better at is making the discernment of this is a real threat and we have a real solution that we can actually enact together right now or this is not a real threat, is a waste of our time and we will not give it any of our attention. And I think that each time we liberate some of our attention from the bullshit, we increase the amount of attention we have to give to those things we actually care about and want to grow. And I think that if we move enough of our attention from bullshit to real shit, then we suddenly find that we have abundant amounts of attention And I think abundant amounts of attention leads to abundant justice. Because I think part of what happens is if we're giving all of our attention to that oppressive negative force, it makes it feel like the weight is unbearable and it keeps us isolated and separated from each other. We start to compete with each other for the, you know, it's like, oh, there's only a, you know, a tiny little bit of attention that'll go to social justice and we have to, you know, slice it up like this pie and none of us has enough. Instead of feeling like our movement's the best. No, our movement's the best. Exactly. Or you our know, strategy or, is the most important. No, our strategy is the most important. <laughs> there's that. And I also think the sadder thing is we're our situation is worse than yours. Yeah. Right? I think when we get into that place where it's like we're all trying to make the case that what's happening to us is worse than what's happening to anyone else, that keeps us from being able to see that this oppression is holding us all down in all of these different ways. Yeah. And it doesn't serve any of us. And right? the strategies it's not, that it's using to hold us down are all linked together. They're super tied in together. Mm-hmm. And it's white supremacy, it's patriarchy, it's capitalism. It's these really large things that like all of us have to move against. And we move against them by generating and cultivating and curating and growing something that is much more compelling and much more viable and much more long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that comes when we're like, oh, there's enough justice for all of us. Let's fucking do this right so that to me is the the main thing that you can do to actually save the whole world is to take your attention away from those who don't deserve it and put it on those things that do deserve it like Mm -hmm. it can be the same issue right so it's like looking at climate change through the lens of am i going to pay attention to what climate change deniers are saying or am i going to bring my attention over to really brilliant scientists who are talking about what we can actually do to generate safe conditions for bees and generate safer conditions right. for our babies and or am I gonna or am I going lives, to bring right? my attention to the ways that like climate justice and prison abolition are intricately linked, exactly. right? Like how do exactly. I put my attention at the actual intersections that matter most right now? Exactly. So we love y'all. 
And we send you positive energy for 2019. Yes. Take your attention liberation and your power of the small adjustment and enjoy it. If you are interested in hearing more about apocalypse survival, you can subscribe to our podcast, How to Survive the End of the World. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts and it'll update right next to Call Your Girlfriend. We would love to hear more from you and we hope you have a beautiful new year. Thank you. Peace. Hey, COIG listeners. I am Otega Uagba and I am a writer, brand consultant and the founder of Women Who, which is a London-based platform that connects and supports and educates working women via digital content and real-life events. The aim of Women Who is basically to help working women create the careers they truly want and deserve. And I set it up a few years ago in reaction to my years of working in the rather male-dominated advertising industry. I've also written a book, Little Black Book, a toolkit for working women, which pretty much does what it says on the tin. It's a career guide for working women. And I'm currently working on my second book, which is a money memoir about my relationship with money over the years and how that relates to women's relationships with money more generally. I also host a podcast in good company. So basically, I do a lot of things, which means I get a lot of emails. I get emails from editors and from PRs from clients I'm working with and brands who want to talk about working together, from members of the Women Who community, who I love, and obviously just a ton of general inquiries. I've been self-employed for about three years now. And I think in the last 18 months or so, pretty much since my first book came out, I've definitely found that my biggest time suck besides social media is my email inbox. And I started to find that really frustrating because sending emails all day is not the way to make progress on creative projects. And I think for me, things really came to a head at the start of 2018. I went on holiday in January 2018 for about two weeks. And because it was my first holiday in a couple of years, I didn't take my laptop with me and I decided to completely stay off emails. I checked in every few days and if something kind of important had come in, I'd send a super quick response. But for the most part, I was off emails and not addressing things for about two weeks. So when I did eventually get back to work, my inbox was basically a hot mess. And the funny thing is, I actually managed to catch up with all my emails pretty quickly, actually, in about a day. But for weeks afterwards, I really felt like I was spending around 80% of my time just reading or responding to or thinking about how to respond to emails. Like I was literally drowning. And I think having that time away made me realize how much time I actually do spend on emails. So I decided to experiment with a few different solutions to try and develop a better relationship with my email inbox and to stop emails taking up what felt like all of my time. So over the course of 2018, I tried a few different things and I came up with a couple of email rules I'm going to share with you all because they've definitely helped me manage my inbox more effectively over the past year. I think the first and most important thing I can say is you don't have to reply to every email. This is really key. And it's a lesson I actually learned from my friend, Renny Edo Lodge, who I interviewed for my podcast. And she's written a really phenomenally successful book called Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. And it just, it was everywhere. I mean, it's been translated into dozens of languages. 
you know, the requests on her time just massively skyrocketed. And she said to me that she eventually realized she simply couldn't respond to every single email, even the really well-meaning ones and things she found really interesting. Because if she did that, she would never get any work done again. Um, And she's a writer and a journalist. And so that is, you know, her actual work. And I really took that conversation to heart. And soon after we spoke, I think it was like the next day, I trialed that in my own life. And to be honest, it had never really occurred to me before that conversation that not responding to emails was an option. And, you know, sometimes I do feel a bit bad. There are lots of emails that come into my inbox and I'm like, oh, I'd love to respond to this. But I kind of have to remind myself that doing that is necessary for me to protect my time and achieve my own professional goals. So I think particularly if you're self-employed, which means you kind of get cold inquiries and people kind of wanting to work with you and not pay you for that time it's okay to not respond to every single email you get and I think people kind of understand that or even if they don't understand it I think that's fine another thing about responding to emails is you don't have to respond immediately I used to work in advertising and in ad agencies the culture is definitely one where you respond to emails straight away especially if they're from clients you don't let email sit in your inbox for an entire day it's just not the done thing so I definitely brought that attitude with me into self-employment but then I read this article on Catapult the headline of which was do you want to be known for your writing or for your swift email responses and I was like "Mm, the first one please Um, and the article basically encourages you to cultivate a persona of unreliability when it comes to emails being known for my unreliability really does not fit in with the professional reputation that I want to have. But when I thought about it, it actually made a lot of sense. And the article basically made the argument that you sort of need to cast off the pressure that you feel and that we put on ourselves to reply to emails straight away. Um, And I used to feel like I was making a really big statement if I took more than a day to respond to certain emails or like I was letting people down or that people would be sitting there thinking that I was rude. And you know what, who knows, maybe they are, but I'm sort of training people to expect slower responses from me by not rushing to respond to emails within a couple of hours. And overall, I feel under less pressure to respond to emails immediately. And that has been really transformative for me. And I also think that the responses I do send, you know, when I do reply to them tend to be more measured and better thought through. So I think everyone's winning. Um, I think it's really easy for your inbox to essentially become a to-do list who that's written by someone who isn't you. So taking time to respond to emails when you're ready to do that is really about prioritising. Obviously, there are certain emails you're always going to reply to quickly because they're important. But I feel like that's maybe 30% of my inbox and the other 70% are definitely things that don't suffer if I take a few days to get around to responding to them. And the lady who wrote the article also made the really great point that it's kind of harder for women to do this, I think, because we've been socialised in so many ways to constantly be trying to prove ourselves and feel as if our value is kind of contingent on our ability to meet the expectations of others, which is a whole other issue. But yeah, if you want to have your life changed, go read that article. It's on Catapult. Uh, And the last thing that I've done this year that's been really important is that I have switched my notifications off. I initially experimented with deleting the Gmail app off my mobile phone altogether, but that was a complete nightmare. I'd be on my way to a meeting and realise I didn't actually know the address because that had been sent to me via email. I didn't have my emails on my mobile phone. So that approach lasted about three days. But what I've done since is I've just switched off the push notifications on my on my phone, which is a really obvious bit of advice that I think lots of people have done, but it took me surprisingly long to try it out. And I think, in fact, the reason it took me so long to try out is because I used to be in the mindset of thinking emails needed 
instant re- replies. But I've kind of gotten to the point where I think it's kind of linked to the point I made before about taking your time to reply to emails. Once I realised I could actually do that, I became a lot less invested in keeping track of every single email that came into my inbox as arrived and became way more comfortable with not having my email notifications on. My relationship with my email inbox is definitely still a work in progress. There have definitely still been days or weeks where I feel like I'm trapped in an endless cycle of Gmail auto responses. I still check my emails multiple times a day as opposed to having three allotted slots. That's kind of my 2019 goal. And a lot of people probably think that I'm terrible at emails, but you know what? I think I can live with that. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Otegauagba. That's spelled O-T-E-G-H-A-U-W-A-G-B-A. Or follow Women Who at Women Who. You can buy my career guide, Little Black Book, on Amazon or all good bookstores. And if you want to join the Women Who community, sign up at www.womenwho.co forward slash join. Happy New Year. My name is Erica Judy Cohen, and I am a doula, author, and co-founder and CEO of Loom, which provides empowered education from periods to parenting out here in LA. It's been quite the year, as I'm sure you know, um, especially for us women or female identifying people. And I think one of the key things I'm really getting on my soapbox about going into 2019 is the concept of body literacy. It's typically been used to describe learning about your own fertility. However, it can have a more expansive definition to encapsulate understanding how your body works. So, you know, whether it's, you know, finally figuring out how to track your period, if you're currently not on hormones, or if you are on birth control, like whether you've got an IUD or you're taking the pill, just really having a deeper understanding of how it's affecting you. And so many of us, firstly, either got introduced to our menstrual cycle or period in a way that wasn't very empowered. There's this opportunity to, to reinvent your relationship with your period and have it feel like you're actually in the driver's seat. And if you're not currently cycling without hormones, there's this opportunity to just become reacquainted with this potentially pill that you've been taking for 10 or 15 years or an IUD you've had for a couple of years. Because I think when we learn about, especially birth control, it's always from a contraceptive lens, it's always from a fear-based place. And oftentimes it just switches off a lot of our curiosity around what it is that we're about to onboard. So that's a really big part of body literacy is just understanding what's actually happening in your body, what you're putting in your body. So for people that are currently cycling without hormones, so no IUD, no pill, you know, one of the first things that you can do is download a good 
period tracking app. My favorite is Clue. There's a lot out there. But the key things that I really think are important to look for are one, your bleed. So how often your bleed is actually happening, because most people think that your menstrual cycle is just the length of your period. It's actually from bleed to bleed. It's the whole entire thing. And then the second thing you want to track is your fluid. What's interesting is as you move through your menstrual cycle, your cervical mucus or your cervical fluid changes. Right after you have your period, it's pretty dry and not really there. And then as you move towards ovulation, it gets a little bit more lotiony, sticky. And then as you get to the peak of ovulation, it's kind of the consistency of raw egg whites. And then you move into your luteal phase, which is again, right before you get your period and it's dry and kind of disappears a little bit again. And so we're starting to notice that is a really key part of body literacy. If you want to track your fluid, for if you're feeling like, oh, like, I don't know, like, I don't really want to be in such high contact with what's going on down there. The gentlest way to do it is sometimes just to check your underwear at the end of the day. Like there should be kind of a difference in the, the striations of your fluid as you move through the month. Like you'll see when there's more and you'll see when there's less. Another opportunity is when you're, you know, going to the bathroom and having a pee and you wipe yourself and you can just take a look at the tissue and be like, okay, what's happening here? Um, and for those that are, you know, really not worried about it, you can just pop a finger in there and just check out the consistency. But again, it's one of our main indicators to let us know like what phase of your cycle you're in. And thanks to the patriarchy, you know, RIP, whenever that happens, we haven't really been given the support to be as in touch with our bodies. And so it's, it can be a really amazing practice to start to build just to kind of get a baseline. And then the third thing I love people to track in Clue is your mood, because your mood has so much variability through the month as you move from phase to phase of your cycle. All of a sudden, if you find that you get really anxious and depressed, like right after ovulation up until you get your period, then that's more phasic. That's, that's kind of phasic mood dysregulation, as opposed to if you feel like that the whole month, then maybe that's something that you actually really need support around, you know, psychologically. But if it's happening in that smaller period, then you can start to feel a little more removed from it and maybe a little bit more supported in that "Mm, I'm just in my luteal phase. I'm not really super anxious and super depressed all the time. And then in a wider sense, when it comes to body literacy, it's really this overall observation of how you're feeling in your body. So, you know, whether that's just looking at sleep hygiene, for example, like what's the quality of the sleep that you're getting? Are you setting up your room or setting up your home in a way that's going to be supportive of good sleep? And I also think body literacy has a lot to do with intuition as well. And, you know, it's funny, sometimes you say the word intuition, and people are like, oh, I'm gone, you know, it's way too (laughs) woo woo for me, I don't really know how to ascertain how that works. But I like to call it like a whole body yes, and then a niche no. Sometimes, whether it's when you're at work, or you're having a meeting with someone, um, or you're just hanging out with a friend, there are subtle signs in your body that indicate whether you're relaxed and comfortable or there's tension or there's discomfort. And a lot of times I talk to my clients about just starting to recognize when their whole body feels relaxed and at ease. And this is definitely a yes. And when, 
you might find that there's a part of you, and that's why I say like a niche no, a part of you that feels tense, but it's, it's easier to ignore it. And what I really try to get people comfortable with is just starting to notice where is the no in the body? Is it, do you find you're swallowing a lot? Do you find that you're having tension in the upper part of your belly? Do you find your shoulders getting tight? It's like just starting to kind of understand like how your body is communicating with you to let you know that something might be a little off or something here needs more inquiry. And then also learning to really kind of embrace and feel comfortable when you feel that full sense of just release and relaxation in your body when you're in the presence of a particular person or when you're trying to make a decision, like your an email comes through and you're like reading the email and you're just noticing, gosh, like I really feel tight in my body. What does that mean? You know, is it just the pressure of maybe a deadline or is it something that's being said to you in this email that really needs to make you think more about whether or not this work opportunity or this, this particular person is you know, really in resonance in your life. When you start to build this full picture, you're potentially looking at your cycle, you're potentially looking at your sleep hygiene, you're also looking at, you know, how your bowel movements and your eliminations are. And you're also just noticing, like, how do I feel like in connection with other people? Like, am I at ease in my body? Or am I kind of filled with tension? Or is this is the tension subtle? And all of these, all of this kind of inner awareness, really aggregates to you feeling more confident just as a person in the world. Hi, my name is Samita Mukhopadhyay. I am the executive editor at Team Vogue. So 2018 was a very big year for me, I think, between turning 40 and, you know, going from kind of freelancing and, and, and doing a book to having regular meetings with with you know, a, a publishing legend <laughs> at Condé Nast, I think, um, you know, my biggest learning, and I wish, you know, at 40, I can say this, I'm glad that I learned it at, even at this time, is that when you're ambitious and you're always hoping that things will get better and, and, and you're always looking to land in a new place or kind of excel more in your career, that like things are actually going to be okay. And when you, like, you don't always have to have this really concrete sense of exactly where you're going Sometimes the process is where a lot of the information and the learning is about yourself and what you want and kind of what you want to do in your life. And, and I think that, you know, I just have always been like anxious about like, what's next? What am I doing next? Like, how am I going to really make this next thing happen and step back and have some space that, you know, you know, not to get too hippy dippy, but that the universe will provide. And, you know, there's a lesson even in the things that don't work out. There's, there's always information there to kind of help you it's really important like I do set kind of really broad and loose goals but I also like I think it's really important to keep realistic goals for yourself and that's you know that's kind of like I know a lot of like the beginning of the year is like oh I'm gonna like you know just like uh you know like change my health like I'm gonna you know I'm gonna start working out five times a week and I'm gonna do my morning pages every morning and I'm gonna do you know and I think that's just not like an honest reflection that those are not always made with an honest reflection of where you're at in that moment. And, you know, we judge ourselves so much for these things that we feel we need to be doing to live a healthy life or a good life that are often very hard to incorporate. Like, like for me, it's like, I already wake up really early in the morning. It's very hard to wake up another 30 minutes early just to like write in my journal or, you know, like to like work out every single day or these things that I think are going to be what makes me a successful person. And there's just, 
I think that like, you know, being really honest with yourself of like, you know what, like, I am actually doing pretty well. What are the little things that I could do that would make me feel a little bit better or make me feel like I'm meeting some of these like bigger, broader goals rather than setting yourself up kind of for, fi- for failure and, and not and then having that cycle of like, oh, well, let me just give up because it doesn't even matter. Like, why should I focus on self-care every time I try? It's like I can't do it exactly the way or this kind of like really kind of like grand vision of what I think self-care is supposed to look like. It's like, well, maybe it means like literally every day at like for five minutes, I set my alarm and I just like take a breath and look out the window. And that's what it is for like a month, you know, really finding achievable ways to kind of incorporate those goals. And I, I feel like one of the biggest things I ever did for myself and for my health was to just be like, I'm not going to look in the mirror and be like, I'm starting a diet because that's not authentic to who I am. That's not authentic to my life. And it's this like endless cycle of shame and this endless cycle of like failure where it's like, no, let me just like remind myself, like, let me just get through this meal or this day. And the actual difficult thing is to just be like, I am not going to judge myself. Like I'm not going to judge myself and hold myself to that, which is actually to me, like also requires a level of discipline, but helps you achieve so many of your other goals because then you're not like every single thing you do isn't like, Oh God, another thing I messed up or another thing that I need to be doing better where it's like, no, like I didn't mess up. I didn't do it exactly like I wanted to do it. And like, maybe like next time I'll remember to do it this way, but like I did it and that's important. You know, just like, like we can, we all just need to try a little tenderness. Like I just feel like it's, it's like, you know, having a little bit of compassion for yourself and, and saying like, we all work so hard to function in this crazy, crazy overloaded world. And like, it's hard. Like the day to day can be really hard and just stepping back and being like, you know what? That was fine. Like what just happened was fine. It's okay that it wasn't excellent. It's okay that I didn't like do it every single way that I wanted to do it. Like maybe next time I will, maybe I won't. And that's okay. You know, I I go back and forth where I have these years where I'm like, I'm really going to, this is going to be a year about like, you know, immersing myself in experiences and like other years are about pulling back. Um, 2019 is really going to be about pulling back for me. I think that I, you know, what, like, just like as we prepare for 2020, like even the Twitter conversations, like all of that stuff, like I literally start, like I start to physically feel ill. Um, and I'm just like, you know what? Like we don't like, I could just like not be on Twitter. Like I could just not be in these spaces that kind of create and I think continually reproduce. Like they're so valuable for so many reasons. And, but I, I do think that, you know, pulling back and really restoring myself for, I think what's going to be, you know, it's going to be a tough year. I think 2020 is going to be a tough year, even if you're not involved in politics. I think it's going to be a tough year and we're going to be busy because there's going to be so many women running. Like we're going to be so busy, <laughs> like, you know, so like I've just really been thinking about like 2019 for me is about stepping back from a lot of that because those conversations, no matter how many times we have them, we're, we can keep having them and we're going to have many opportunities to have them. And so, um, you know, kind of just, I'm like taking more time away from social media, taking more time, you know, in my personal life and spending real life face-to-face time with people or long distance friends that I can FaceTime with, you know, 2018 was very much a year of immersion for me of like really being in the mix and like just falling off on my friendships and, and that kind of stuff. You know, I'm not a great multitasker, so I kind of have to be like that. Like I kind of, it's like where I am, that's where I am. Kind of, I'm really looking forward to it. And I've been setting up my work life that way of like, really being like, okay, these are the things I can do and these are the things I can't do. And I need to kind of step back and, and make space for, you know, literally just like 
getting stoned and watching TV. It's like a big hobby of mine. So. <laughs> I love this. 2019 is probably going to be trash, but we are going to do amazing things together. The best advice from the best women. I love this episode every year because you and I are just like, yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Like, I know. I'm, not- just take- I'm just taking notes. Love it. <laughs> 100%. So, yeah, listen to these women, support these women, follow them on the Internet. They're all great. And uh, we'll see you on the Internet all year long. Happy New Year, y'all. See you on Beyonce's Internet. See you on the book writing grind. Ooh, girl, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download the show anywhere you listen to your faves or on Apple Podcast, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. Our associate producer is Destry Maria Sibley. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac.